awesome. Well, let's uh, go ahead and crack open our Bibles to the book of James tonight. We're going to be picking things back up uh, at the beginning of chapter 2. We finished chapter 1 last week. Um, Next week, Chuck is going to do the second half of chapter 2 for us. But we are on our third week of this uh, journey through the writings of James, the brother of Jesus. Um, As we've been talking about being a people, desiring to be a people who um, say yes to God's plans and God's purposes for our lives. The things that God is speaking to us that we would embrace those things wholeheartedly and say, yes, Jesus, I will do what you want me to do with my life. Um, And so before we take uh, an in-depth look at the passage tonight, I have a really serious question for you. And this is with a little bit of sarcasm, but um, are you guys ready? Um, Have you guys ever met any weirdos at church? Has anyone ever met any weird people at church? Never. One, never. Never. Time. never. Um, but seriously, though, haven't Girl, we... Not husband. <laughs> 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 That's funny. She's like, going back there, yeah. Um, so I think all of us have probably met some pretty interesting folks at our faith communities in the past, right? Obviously not here at Mosaic. Everybody here is totally normal and uh, nobody's weird or abnormal in any way. Um, But for the better part of a decade, I felt like I uh, pastored a whole youth group full of these types of people. And um, don't get me wrong. uh, I love the unique believers that God has blessed upon our lives, right? There's this kind of cool um, uniqueness to the church, right? Um, I really do love that his church is more diverse and inclusive than any other group on the planet, or at least it should be, right? I love that I come to church and I hang out with people that I wouldn't normally hang out with in like regular life, right? I had lots of people at New Hope that were 30, 40, 50 years older than me and I would talk to them and like hear their stories and hear their life and I'm like, if I met them on the street, I would never think twice. I would just go about my business, right? But God brings this like amazing collection of people together and sometimes it's a little bit different and sometimes it's a little bit odd, right? But it's really cool. And so I think, though, in church, sometimes um, we can begin to not realize that. And we can begin to start kind of picking out our favorites, right? We can start to kind of associate with people exclusively at the expense of other people, right? Um, In a short period of time, we write folks off and we begin to create kind of clubs within our community, right? Um, These are my people, right? And very quickly, um, as these groups kind of form, there begins to... to be created like an in and an out, right? Uh, Cool and an uncool, insiders and outsiders, right? Even within the church, there gets to be these kind of distinctions that we start to build with one another, right? Even in the church, even in this inclusive environment, even in this place where we can all be ourselves, right? And I want to tell you something. This isn't what Jesus created his church to operate as. This isn't how he designed it. He didn't design ins and outs, in cool and uncool, right? In Romans 12, verse 16, in the NIV, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, right? To me, conceited is, I'm better than you, and my group is better than you, and you can't come. You can't be a part of that, right? And as we will read tonight, James and the Apostle Paul are getting at the same concept, that we've got to say yes together, right? Um, 
Christianity is, after all, a team sport, right? Everyone is welcome. God wants to break down the separations between class, ethnicity, and even affinity, right? Sometimes we naturally have affinity with people when we say, oh, we share the same, like, interests. I like to golf, or I like to, you know, go to the movies, or I like to listen to music, or I like to whatever, right? God wants to break those things down so that we can partner together to say yes to the big plans of our big God, right? I think that until those things break themselves down, um, I don't think that we can accomplish the mission of God, right? I don't think the mission of God can be accomplished by one or two. I think it requires a movement of the church to do it together, right? can't just be accomplished in these small groups. And so that being said, kind of sets the tone. We're going to be talking about saying yes together. Um, and so I'm going to read the passage to us, uh, verses 1 through 13, out of the New Living Translation. So, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you find some favor over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as one who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And so I know what you might be thinking. There's a lot in this passage, right? In 13 verses, he's packed a lot of things in there. But I think first we find James confronting this partiality, this favoritism in the church that is causing disunity in the body, right? Um, he, he describes these uppity Christians who are sidelining the poor, the dirty, the cheaply dressed at the expense of the rich, the clean, and the well-dressed in the community. I was thinking about this as when I was a kid because uh, my parents never bought me like the really nice clothes, right? Um, so I was like, imagine like, I wish I was like the kid who got to buy like Abercrombie or something when I was a kid, right? Now I'm so glad I never had Abercrombie, but, but like that kind of thing, like where you would have these groups that would kind of fit together and they would wear certain clothes together and they would talk the same and act the same and do the same, right? So there are these uppity Christians who are saying, um, that were giving this special attention to the popular people, right? They were coming into the church who had money. Um, maybe the, the leader of that synagogue was, was going over and talking to them because he knew they were going to give more money than the other people and they were going to support the ministry, right? And so there was this like culture developing where literally um, people were so unpopular that they were, they were forced to sit in the corner on the floor, right? They weren't even like given a chair. Like you can't even have a chair. I don't know if they just ran out of chairs 
Or if they just were like, no, you're not even good enough to sit. Like, you're going to dirty our chairs, right? Uh, you have to go sit over there in the corner, right? And, and James describes that the church was full of discrimination and that these people had crowned themselves as judges, right? They were the judge and the jury and the executioner. They were making all the decisions here, right? They thought that because they had Jesus and because they had stature that they could just exclude people from their community. And so um, some people, like I said, weren't even valued enough to sit in a chair during the service. That's pretty low, right? None of you guys have ever been asked to sit in the corner on the floor, okay? We've never, like, take your chair away from you. So, um, but we find uh, Jesus's brother, James, really getting up in their grill, I think. Um, As he says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? So he drops this truth bomb on them, right? He asks them this question. Like, weren't we all weak and broken and poor when we first surrendered to Jesus? Weren't we all that, right? Maybe, maybe not physically. Maybe we had money all along. But weren't we all spiritually dirty and broken and poor and without help before we met Jesus? Weren't we all in that space together, right? Isn't this the point of our faith James is getting at, right? That when we only come to Jesus, when we come to the end of what we have to offer, the end of ourselves, we find the beginning of God, right? And so in our lacking, God is great, right? In what we don't have. And so um, even more than that, he's saying, isn't this love that Jesus have open to all, right? He doesn't exclude a single one of us. There's no person that would have been excluded. Honestly, if anybody was to be excluded in this time, it probably would have been Jesus, right? His parents weren't rich. His father was a carpenter, right? His parents technically had a baby out of wedlock, right? He probably would have been excluded by these same people who were professing to know God, right? And so um, Eugene Peterson describes it this way as he paraphrases this passage. He says, listen, dear friends, it isn't, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing those same citizens, right? And so he reminds them that all are welcome in the family of God, right? That, that even, even Jesus let these judgy people in initially, right? Even the judgy people are allowed to be a part of the community. We don't kick them out either, right? And so... James, uh, then he goes into what we talked about a little bit last week. He talks about the summation of the entire law, of all the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? All the books in the Bible, all, you know, 1,500 pages that are in the Bible. He says, right, come down to these two things, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Let's be reminded of that, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, come on, guys. These two laws are pretty darn simple, right? We're breaking this thing all the way down. Even I can knock on your head and I think you guys can get these, right? Love God and love your neighbor. And then he says, yet you're breaking them, right? You're breaking these laws. And he says that if you break one of the laws, it's like you broke the whole law, right? You can't just pick and choose what you like and you don't like. You can't just pick and choose the people you like and don't like. Right? We can't just select the things about God that we're like, oh, I like this part of God, but I don't like this other part over here, right? So I really like, you know, they were saying, I really like that, that, um, that there's this order to God, but I don't like that God lets all these people in. And so he's saying, well, let's, let's deal with this, right? 
And so he's saying you can't be judges, right? No matter how much you think you're the judge, you're not the judge. There's this other guy at the end of this whole thing who's going to be the real judge of whatever's going on. And then James, he finishes this passage um, with, I think, a really beautiful reality. And it doesn't, doesn't say it well in the NLT, but it's, he says, um, mercy triumphs over judgment, right? It's one of my favorite little snippets in the Bible. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I just imagine like James is like, boom, drop the mic. I'm out. That's it. I don't need the other three chapters or four chapters of this, uh, this uh, book of the Bible. I'm, I'm done. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See you guys later. Right. Um, but, but isn't the reality that the church should have the corner market on mercy? Yeah. Right. Shouldn't we like by our very nature exude mercy? Right? Especially within our community, shouldn't we have like an overabundance? Like we are following the King of Mercy, right? And He lives inside of us. And so shouldn't mercy like just like naturally like seep out of our pores? Shouldn't it just be part of who we are? Right? Yet mercy is just such a hard thing for us, right? We're really merciful until like we're confronted with an opportunity where we have to be merciful, right? Where somebody does something that hurts our feelings. Like I'm super loving and merciful until someone hurts my feelings. And then it's like, nah, that mercy's done now, right? Go sit in the corner on the floor, right? Um, But shouldn't we be um, people of mercy? Shouldn't that be what we're marked by? Um, And so I I wonder for us tonight, uh, and this is gonna be a really short talk, um, where we might be allowing favoritism and partiality to cloud our unity, right? Where might we be creating walls or barriers or maybe it's not a full wall, but maybe it's just like a half wall. You walk into somebody's house and you have a half wall that separates the living room from the dining room or something. Maybe we're building up these little walls that are just getting creeping higher and higher and we're saying, I don't know if I really want to spend time with that person or I don't really know if I want to have a conversation on Saturday with that person because it might be kind of weird. It might be kind of different, right? And, and we need to exude mercy, right? Peter 3.8 um, says in the NIV, it says, finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And so unity to me, and I've said this before, is not uniformity, right? It is not sameness. It is not conformity, right? We're not trying to make everybody look the same. I don't want everyone to look like me, right? That would be weird. Um, I don't want everyone to look like Brooke or like Riley. We are all unique. That's how God has created us, right? This is not, um, this is not homogeny, okay? Unity is belonging. Unity is commitment to share a common love and direction, right? Unity is embracing our uniqueness as strength as opposed to weakness, right? That all of us bring something unique to the table, right? Unity allows us to say yes to the plans of God together. Because I think that unity brings us closer to God. I think that that us being all uniquely different brings us closer because when we come to a space like this, what you share is a different perspective on God than what I share, right? And so we get these facets of God from one another, these things that God is doing in our lives, and we share them with each other. And it builds our faith. It builds our understanding of who God is because we all see God with different lenses, right? Same God, different people, different eyes to see him in different ways, right? And so our, our uniqueness is a strength as opposed to a weakness, right? 
And so unity allows us to pool our gifts, our talents, and our resources to make a larger impact together for the kingdom of God, right? We can put all of what we have together and make it something beautiful. And so there shouldn't be any exclusivity in the church. There shouldn't be ins and outs in the church. There shouldn't be cool and uncool, right? As, as silly as that sounds, I feel like I'm like seven years old when I say that. It doesn't change if you're seven or 70. There are still cool, like I could probably walk into a retirement home and I would be able to tell those are the cool people <laughs> and those are the uncool people, right? Like our, we just, we make these distinctions, right? And you would find these are the people who play bridge. And these are the people who play, you know, rummy over here. You know, the whatever games we've got. Cribbage, you know. Um, there, shouldn't, there should be inclusivity. There should be endless mercy for one another. And there should be a shared mission that we have. All are welcome to saying yes to the king of glory. Because remember, we were all once poor in spirit and without purpose and direction before we met Jesus. We were all in the same space lost and broken without God. And we were all in the same place when he welcomed us in and said, you're not that anymore. That isn't who you are, right? He stamped us the same as people who belong to his kingdom, that are part of his family. It was the same Jesus who rescued us and brought us into fullness by his spirit. And so now that same Holy Spirit bands us together as misfit as we might be, right? Um, to accomplish the unaccomplishable. That's not even a word. I try to type it in on my computer. Um, but the unaccomplishable with his love, right? He bands us together. He makes something beautiful. I love that we're different. I love that we come from different spaces. I love that our childhoods are different. I love that some of us have hair and some of us don't, right? I love that some of us like music and some of us don't. I love that... We have different jobs and we work in different cities, right? I love that. And that can be so hard sometimes, right? Because we see things differently. But if instead of leading with, with walls, we lead with mercy, I think that creates a whole different environment where we can say, you know what? Maybe I'm coming from a different perspective, but I appreciate that person for who God made them to be, right? And they're still a part of what we're doing. And that I think is saying yes together. Please. Oh, cool. That excited. They are very excited. So I am going to pray because then we're going to be done. And then we're going to break off into small groups and talk a little bit. And that was only 18 minutes. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that, um, that we are not the same. I thank you, the God, that you didn't just make a bunch of um, the same. This is not assembly line. You didn't just crank us out and just make us one after another after another. God, that you spent time it says your your word says that you knit us together in your mother's womb and so father uh, god i just pray that you would allow us to lead with mercy that mercy would triumph over judgment there wouldn't be ins and outs that instead we would see our um, differentness as something that brings us together that allows us to accomplish so much more together and so lord we just pray that you would bless our conversations tonight as we talk i pray that we would just um, see facets of who you are as we break off into small groups and and discuss and we pray um, for those who aren't here this evening for um, we just pray that you would be with them that you would encourage them on their vacations or or when they're at school and all of those places I just pray that you would be with them and and just make them feel loved on where they are in Jesus name amen all right two questions